There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where did you come from? I'm Ross Donnelly. I'm from the inner city of Dublin. Uh, born and raised in Dublin 1. Yeah. So where's Dublin 1 for you? Uh, Summerhill. Summerhill. Yeah. Um, so Ross... I was talking to you earlier on, like, I, your, I'm sure your page was sent to me by a few people on Instagram saying you need to sit down and chat with Ross. And then I seen what you were doing um, with Inspiring to be Brave. And I was, I had a little look at the page and I was like, yeah, so we are a long time trying yeah. to sit down together, <laughs> but we're finally sitting down together yeah. tonight. So do you want to tell me, Inspiring to be Brave, why did you set that up? Well, so the idea came across, so I've seen a lot of things with mental health charities. I won't go too deep into it now, but I've seen a lot of things where they're not doing the right things that they should be doing. Like what? Like PA the house, like they're not giving the right support they should be getting. When people are getting told they're getting a year wait list for mental health problems, people that want to commit suicide now, they don't have 12 months, they don't have 6 months. Same with the HSE wait list, it's 3 years. So I thought to myself, what can I do? Because I've been there, obviously, and I'll get into that. But what can I do that can help people in the area and broader areas try to open up wider? But what can I do that can give them kind of a safety blanket for the time that they're waiting for the help that they need? So they need to talk to someone. They don't have six months. So my walk and talks every week is giving them something to look forward to every week. Meeting new people. Like, I, I never could meet new people. Like, going to talk to someone new for me was, oh, I can't do that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's all I wanted to do. So there might be people out there, say, lonely, that don't have anybody to talk to. They can come along. Like, older people, to bring their kids as well. They're getting out of the house, talking to people, going, doing something they enjoy as well, you know what I mean? We're trying to bring in cold water swims as well so that they're facing their fears as well while doing that and it gives them a sense of achievement then that so oh Jesus I never thought I could do that but I did do it so that was the idea behind it that's what got me to set this up and it's, it's gone well now now going forward we're trying to set up our own charity so that we can have we're working on a building now we have board members we're working on a building now so that we can have somewhere so as I said to you the safety blanket so if someone gets told six months and the idea behind the charity it's going to be called Steo so it stands for something, we'll get that later on, but Steo is the name of a man from Kewlock that committed suicide, and he was in the hospital, I'm just going to mention this because I think it's important, he was in the hospital getting help, and he told them, look, we don't have any help for you for six months. He said, if I leave this hospital, I'm going to commit suicide. So he said, well, there's nothing we can do. So we left the hospital, two hours later he was found. So he committed suicide, so that's the idea. It's to give people like Steo a safety blanket so that when they're told, listen, 12 months, 6 months, we'll have somewhere for them to go where they can talk to someone or they can just socialise with people who are going through something similar. 
So that's the idea behind the Inspiring to be Brave. Are you doing this on your own? Yeah. Okay. Now, now the charity, I have three other members. We have Steele's mum, and then we have two of Steele's friends who have been in social work and have seen mental health issues over the last 10 years. So there'll be four of us on that. But Inspiring to be Brave now and trying to branch out and get it going in a few different areas. So that there'll be people say they don't want to travel into town to Moyen. Mm. They'll have somewhere to go then with that. And is it like young, old? Is it men, women? What is it? Doesn't it? matter. Mm-hmm. Don't discriminate. We have mm. all sorts. We have, like, we have young children who just want to come out for the walk, 15, 16 year olds. Then we might have 20s, 30s, and then people 40s who have kids and stuff who bring them with. So we don't. Because I think we like, again, you know, like when you were like 15, and like, you know, some people, like I worry so much about Amelia. Um, and area and even like not having friends or sitting in the rooms all the time and like now she's out and about and she's out and about with her school pals and I'm delighted because they're going around there's a gang of them and I'm absolutely and even all the mums are texting each other and saying isn't it great isn't it great isn't it great because the worry is that they hit, hit a certain age and they do sit in that bedroom yeah. Yeah. and that's the problem like I, I want to push over the next 12 months I really want to push on the government as well to try I know there's some Charities, I'm not 100% on them, but I know there's some charities that go to schools. But I think from 16 up, they don't have help. 16 to 18, I think there's a gap of two years where there's no help for people. So I think it'd be important for this country, I know it's getting done in the UK, but I think it's important for Ireland to have someone going into schools for the 16-year-olds. Now, it doesn't have to be a course or anything like that, but Mm. going in is just teaching them about anxiety, depression, stress, all these mental issues that they might face when they're older. That way... They might have an idea what they're going through. Whereas mm. when I went and got anxiety and I was crippled and I couldn't breathe and I was what is this? I'm the only one, do you know what I mean? Whereas if we have someone going in and teaching kids that who would have been in my situation what anxiety is, they know they can kind of deal with it. Now that's not to say it won't be severe, but they can kind mm. of have an understanding of what it is they're going through. So that's another thing I'm gonna really push for in the next twelve months. Because again, um and I don't think I said this before, like, and again, and just what you're saying to me, it's kind of bringing it back to me. I dropped Ari to school one day and I was talking to one of the moms and I left. And so I was passing by the window and I looked in and Ari was in a hall with about five or six other kids and she was um, doing yoga moves, right? And I was like, what the hell is going <laughs> on? Like, you know what I mean? So I, I went past and one of the, the moms from the older class came along and she said to me, everything all right? And I was like, what are they doing? And I was like, look, there's some of your boy, like your boy. And she was like, oh, that's called brain camp or brain dump. And I was like, what? And she was like, basically, like, didn't know. Basically, the kids go in there for 20 minutes to calm them down before they go into class. Right? And I was like, what's this? So you're going to even tell me my child has gone in there. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) So when she came home from school, I was like, Aria, I was like, what were you doing today? And she was like, show me. And she was doing this and she was doing this and she was sitting down and then she was running on the spot. And I was like, when are you doing? And she was like, since I started school, I do that. No one told me. No one told me. And I was like, right, okay. But I was like, how fantastic is that, that they have that? And she was like six at the time. But... And I said to Amelia, I said, do you know Aria does this? And she was like, oh, yeah, a couple of them from my class do it as well. And I was like, oh, that's great. but And it is great. It is, yeah. yeah. But again, in secondary schools, on that age group, there's no, there's no mindfulness. There's mm. nothing like that. 
Yeah, that's why I think it's important that we do push. Like when I get this charity set up, the four of us are going to really push. That's one of our goals for the charity is to push. Even if it's one of us going in and just explaining what some of them are, it's important that we do that. And as I said to you, myself going through school, that was the hardest point of my life was secondary school. And I had nobody to turn to. That's when I I'll go into my story now. So, so I start getting some releases, say about 14, 13, 14. Didn't know what it was, obviously. Went to see the doctor, he started explaining, listen, you have a skin disorder, blah, blah, blah. This is how we'll treat it, we'll do all of this. So what, from a young age, I thought it was different anyways. And then because of the way my skin was, I was bullied an awful lot in school. So, like, listen, the bullies now, I'm friends with some of them. They've obviously grown up to be better people and understood. But at the time, they don't. bullies don't know the effects it can have in the long run. And in the long run, I suffered severely. So <clears throat> about 16 then... That's when it started getting really bad where people were like, oh, look, Mount Everest, because I had dandruff on my hair now. They were like, oh, Mount Everest on his head. And then they'd be like, look, I spot the difference all over his body when I was in the gym. So it stopped me from doing some of the things I wanted to do. So like the likes of PE, I wouldn't do PE because I can't change in front of people. I can't take my T-shirt off. And then it had an effect outside where I was playing football and I didn't really want to go to football. So I came into my own shell and really didn't want to do nothing with nobody like even getting older so when I was 18 I'd go nights out and everybody's in t-shirts the height of summer t-shirt and jean shorts and I'd be wearing long jumpers with long jeans like so that's when it started about 15 16 then it started to get worse then when I started drinking I was drinking to kind of cover over the cracks take it back to me for a second to school so and do you know what? Like, you are probably... Every person that sits with me and tells me about bullies says, I'm friends with them now. It's fucking shocking. Mm. That's the problem. That's like... At the time, they'd be... Now, some of them I wouldn't even look at in the street, yeah. but there is some some that did pump me through that. And do you know what it was? Like, it's... They were the kill kids, you know what I mean? That's the way it was in school and probably is still the same today mm. like they were the kill kids I was never going to be one of them do you know what I mean so mm. they really tried to push me out then the older I got then I'd see them on the street and they'd be like oh you're doing well and fair pleasure for this and fair pleasure for that you turned out to be this you turned out to be that and you do have that thought in the back of your head like do you understand what you put me through do you know what I mean and I look at I know someone from town who went through similar who's now a professional fighter and he told me the same now when he sees the same people it's all the same, it's fair play for what you're doing and all, how did you become this person and all, you know what I mean? So, And who the fuck are they to say that to exactly, you? Who exactly, exactly, yeah, that's it, that's, that's the issue though, so that's basically what started my mental issues then, say about 18, 19 is when I start drinking and if you know about psoriasis, that's really what causes it, is alcohol, cigarettes, stress, it can flare up. So I'd be going out Friday, Saturday, Sunday just to drink away the problems and that's where it really got severe then, where to the point I didn't want to be here anymore. So it got that bad that, like, my man died from a generation where, don't get me wrong, like, just get over it. Do you know what I mean? It's not that to say that they're wrong for that, but I know. they're from that. So they didn't really understand mental health. Nobody did up until recently where mm. people are starting to come out now professionals who have millions of followers are coming out and speaking about it and think it's important that they do but nobody really understood and it took for myself anyways it took me mad to find me on the floor after a night of drinking oh, i don't want to be here i don't want to be here i'm really really gonna end it like so that was that was a hard time for me and for my family as well because they were like what do we do how do we get the help and me personally 
I wouldn't go and speak to someone. I think speaking to someone close to me is how I get out of my problems, you know what I mean? So I started sitting down with my man speaking about what was going on, and she was really, like, my dad as well, actually, but the both of them were really my rock for getting over that and really wanting to go and achieve my goals then, you know what I mean? But that's how severe it got, it got to the point where... Oh, I can't do this anymore. I think it'd be easier for me to just get out here and not be here anymore and not face any of these difficulties, you know what I mean? So it got that bad like. Did you say those things to your mum? Yeah. And oh, how did she react? A really hard time for her. She just broke down. She was like, What is it like? Obviously my man and dad had their struggles as well, growing up in poverty and stuff like that in the inner city, like it was a hard time. My dad lost his job as well at one point and that was a really hard time for them too, so what I was going through was putting more pressure on them to actually do something about it, you know what I mean? They kept trying to get me to help, but I just, I, just the person I am, I didn't want to go into a room and sit with a stranger. I wanted mm. to speak to someone close to me. So that all of that that I went through anyway is the reason I'm the person I am today. And I look back on that time, and I'm not glad it happened, but I look back at that time to where I really, really thought, this is the end, and say, Jesus, what have I to do now? What if I took my life at that stage when I was only 18, 19? If I took my life then, I wouldn't be doing the things I am today to help other people, you know what I mean? And who are you today? I'm actually, do you know what? I'm genuine happiness now. That's mm. the most important thing for me. And this is why like, people look at me and say, <clears throat> oh, he must be looking for sympathy. I mean, he must be looking for pity. Now, I know nobody has actually said that, but there is people like that who might be saying, oh, look at what Ross puts out. I speak openly on all my platforms, no matter what it may be, social media, and to friends in person. I speak openly about my mental health because it's important to show people that you're not on your own. There is millions of us. Like I, This is my example all the time. Every single person you walk by out there is going through something that you'll have no clue about. So it's important for us to be open about our mental health and show the people, because there is a few people following me who might be going through that. Show them it's okay to speak up. Because I don't know if you've seen Paddy the Baddy's interview the other night. He's yeah. a UFC fighter. Oh, I did. Yeah, mm. so he was weighing in on the Friday and he got a phone call that morning that his friend committed suicide. We need more people like that who have the millions of followers to show people it's okay. The suicide rates now is ridiculous. In this country and all over the world, it's ridiculous. The UK, it's the biggest killer in the UK. That's That shows that it's a real, real issue. So my goal is now to obviously help people who are going through what we went through. Because that was a really hard time for me. I was like, this, just end this. I can't do this anymore. How did you get yourself from ending it? Like obviously, you're saying that you talked to your ma, but there had to be other things that you were putting in place. Yeah, so... Well, I use this example because a friend of mine, I know he won't mind me mentioning it, but a friend of mine came to me six months ago and he was saying, listen, he used the drink as to shadow away what I think a lot of people use that as well, but it's not okay. But, um, he came to me six months ago and he's saying, going through what you went through, because obviously me being open about my mental health, everybody knows what I went through and how I felt and I was basically at the end and there's no lie. So he came to me six months ago he's like, Look, I feel like I can talk to you, obviously because I'm so open about it. So he came into me, and what he told him was, and I think it's important to tell others, every year I set four goals, big goals. Now, obviously, you'll have things coming up throughout the year. I'll set four big goals at the start of every single year. And it doesn't matter how big or small it is. It might be something stupid, like get a tattoo or something, you know, something stupid, but 
if you achieve them, it gives you that sense of achievement to go and do bigger things. So if you look, if I look back anyways at my last three years, so I'm at the progression massively, whether it's mental health, fitness related, or even getting back into sports now, I'm at an age and I'm comfortable in my mental health that I can go and meet new people like yourself. And even going back to football recently, I can, I'm comfortable around people now. I'm really, really confident with myself as well. So as I set four goals, doesn't matter how big or small, I give myself four months, four, eight, sorry, three months, three, six, nine, twelve, throughout the year. So every three months I hope that I achieve one of them on that list. And I was like, use that tool to conquer yours. And now six months later, he's in a much better place. So it's coming up with little tweaks or little changes that you can make to your everyday life that make you feel better with your mental health. And like even use this loads of times as well there was a soldier a few years ago and he was he done a mental health talk and he was like so to start off your day get up in the morning and make your bed and people look at that and say jeez that's so silly mm-hmm. if you make your bed you're already achieving something starting off your days you know what i mean mm-hmm. go do your wash put your wash on stupid little things around the house that can give you a sense of achievement in your mind you know what i mean mm-hmm. and can i ask you then you talked about what, first of all, I want to bring it back. Like, what was it like for you growing up in Summerhill? Or I know you said that at 15, the bullying, but what was it like? Home? Are you the only child? How many is at home? There was eight of us. Fucking hell. Yeah. So <laughs> there's four boys and four girls. Um, we, we used to kill each other every day. But in town, it's hard. It's, it's like school, but outside school. For me personally, anyways, it's like there's them subgroups around town that you don't want to go near or you don't want to be a part of, do you know what I mean? And before all of that stuff, I was kind of in groups where, don't want to say bleed too bad, but mm. where they are breaking the law, do you know what I mean? You're, you're, there is groups that are, the main goal is to go around breaking the law, whether that be breaking things or robbing things or whatever it may be. That's what I was part of, so I kind of pulled myself back from that. So... Growing up in town, anyway, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit hard. It's there's a lot of poverty in the inner city, especially like we, as I said to you, we grew up in poverty. You know what I mean? We didn't always have money. We didn't always have the best of clothes. It's sometimes hard to put food on the table. So, I think the inner city kind of drags people down and doesn't show them there is you can achieve. Look, if you look at it now, Pierce O'Leary from the inner city, the lads running the inner city running club, there's so many different people around town that are now achieving things because we are bigger than the inner city. Mm. There is people there that can, but the, it's like the inner city drags you back in to say, you're nobody. Same with the police. You're nobody. You're going nowhere with your life. You're just going to stay here for the rest of your life. And I think that's a real important thing for us as well who have kind of a, a small platform, but to use that to help the inner city, whether it be you clubs or whatever it may be. To and it's mad because, like you said there about the boys, um, training car, like when I sat down with them and they were saying like, so sometimes it's not the deprived, de- deprived area, it's deprived minds that, that you have that mindset. Because where I grew up, like I grew up in, in the courts and in Kulak in Prizewood. And so does that area that like, but... That was down to, and I grew up with none, absolutely yeah. none. I grew up with none. But again, it was like, and again, a little bit different because there was eight of you in the house and it was up to my dad to kind of say to me, you're getting an education. You're going to get out and get a job. Like I say to, like my kids, like when I pass the custom house, I say, what's that building? And they say, oh, that's the building that mammy worked in. Because when my ma had got sick, she got a hysterectomy. 
I had to go in and do her job yeah. in the in the custom house at like fourteen, and I had to clean it. I had a ball because like yeah. I cleaned it in an hour and then another hour and I was on the phone ringing all my mates <laughs> carrying on. Yeah. But I had to do that. And then I got off the bus and the, the women, I say to the women who worked with me, Matt, like, where's my wages? And they'd go, oh, no, yeah, I'll get that tomorrow. So my ma got them wages, do you know what I mean? But that was what my dad pushed us, like, and said, no, you'll work. And, you, you know, you, I didn't even get a penny out of that money. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I had to go you back into the home. Well, that you know kind I mean? of got you the lessons in life to always work hard and you will get what you deserve but so going back to an hour pull it back to my man there so me both my man and dad don't think my man or dad finished their education and both for similar reasons so my dad lost his man at 19 so he left school obviously to look after his younger brothers and sisters while my granddad worked mm. while he earned the wages to look after them all and the same thing with my man similar to my man my man comes from a family of 11 Nearly sure, 11, yeah. Yeah, she comes from a family Different of 11. Life, yeah, so mm. she would, she done something similar where she looked after the younger kid. Now, I wouldn't fault my man and dad for anything, and it was all me. I left school myself. Now, I don't recommend anybody get your education, make sure you finish school, go on to do whatever it is you want to do, because no matter what, nobody can tell you you can't do something. And I stand by that as well, because as someone that did leave school, I'm achieving a lot of things that, Back at that stage, I was like, I don't know where I'm staying mm. exactly where I am. And I did for a year or two. So when I did leave school anyway, that was 16, 17, just going 17. So I got called back the first time. I was missing school because I couldn't deal with what I was going through. And none of the teachers noticed? A couple of them did and a couple of them sent me down. Um, the liaison officer was knocking at the door all the time and I was explaining to him, I can't sit in a classroom. So they're like, right, we'll, we'll keep you back for a year and then see how you get on with that class but the same thing was happening with that class and even as a year older than these boys it's still it's not what oh, look at me on this age it's nothing like that it was like oh, I can't can't keep up with this so when I turned around and said I'm leaving the, obviously we had liaison officers coming knocking at the door talking to me dad my dad was trying to get me back obviously the person that years he wanted me to get the education so I just I sat down my man down we made the decision I can't go through that anymore. I need to take a break for myself. Was the bullying that bad? Yeah, it was that severe. And like, it wasn't that the bullying was that bad. It was my mental health was that bad because of it. Because of what I was feeling. I was like, I, re- I can't I can't go and sit in a classroom where people are just constantly for the whole day, eight hours a day, constantly at me to make a joke out of me for somebody else to laugh. And it was like that every single day for years. So... <clears throat> I said, we'd sit down with my man and dad, they were like, obviously you know yourself, oh, you need to finish your education, you need to finish school, you won't get anywhere if you don't. And I'd like, I know, looking back on that, it was a regret. Now, I don't live with any regrets, I'm just that type of person. I'm a di- I was a different person when I was 16 than I was when I was 17, and I was a different person when I was 17 than I was when I was 18, constantly progressing. So I don't live with regrets, but if I was to look back, leaving school would have been one of them, just to finish the education, obviously, get me leaving cert and move on to see what I wanted to do. But we sat down anyways, and I was like, listen, there's nothing you're going to say, or that the liaison officer is going to say that's going to get me back into that school. So she was like, right, well, we need to make a plan so that you do get something similar to that. So I was like, what can we do? So my older brother finished school, got his leaving cert, but done two years of us before he was ready to go on to college and stuff like that. So... We sat down anyways, we got the first teacher in and we were like, right, explain to him what 
what was I went through in school. So he was like, we can get you back into school if you want that. So I explained to him, as I said to yourself, I mean, man, that was like, I can't go through that anymore. I need it. Whether it's, it's like Infos, you'd only be in a classroom of five or six. So I was like, maybe that, that'll help. Mm. So a friend of mine went through something similar, you know, not because of his mental health, because he was a bit bit of a wanker to taking the piss <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah. he went through something similar and he was kind of finished Bosco's if you know that yeah. in the strand he finished Bosco's at a similar time to when I left school so we looked right we get I'll get into Foss so I got into Foss and then turns out my mate was getting into the same Foss so it turned out that I was in Foss with a friend so we had I think we had six of us and all six of us were very similar people in what we went through in school and why we didn't want to be there anymore so them two years in Foss and I always say that saved my life really the two years I've done in Foss now I got level fours moved on to do some level five courses in Foss done all the level three which is kind of junior cert level and then level four is kind of LCA level mm. got all of them certs um, done a couple of they got me on a level five because I was I was still a smart boy like I was still doing very well there so I was finishing we went into the level three and I finished that in six months the four six months so we were like right we move you to level four before you actually go on to level four so we've done another six months in there on level four finished that mm-hmm. six months so when we went into the level four course then i was like oh you nearly have all of this so yeah. we were like well we'll try to progress you even more even further so we done level five From, what were you doing um woodwork there was loads of different classes so we had maths english woodwork um computer science what else had we got and was it just that no one was picking on you? Like, there was no one picking oh, on was. you? And, like, <laughs> my mum always said it when, like, she used to get reports from younger age. It was always green. Everything was green. Perfect with everything. Like, I was never a messer in school because I just, that just wasn't me. I didn't mm. have, like, I'm a shy, shy. Not anymore, kind of coming down my shell, but I was always really shy. Like, I couldn't, as I said, I couldn't go and meet people and talk to them. Like, this group as well, like, even going out to that group, I was like, oh, still getting that fear. But at the time, mm. I was always shy, so I couldn't really speak to people. So being in that first group with, obviously, someone as a friend, I was able to come out of my shell then and actually open up and speak to people and explain to people what it was I went through. So mm. we'd done that anyway. Done two years of first. Then we went to, I went to Liberties and done two years in youth, and, a year, sorry, in youth and community work. Because I started volunteering for youth clubs at 16, 17. I was still in youth clubs myself, but for the younger group. And this is like the person I am now today is what I love the most to do is help people. Whether it be young people, old people, people my age, it doesn't matter. I just I get a sense of, get happiness from helping others, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So went and done the youth and community for a year. Then after that, I was going back to DIT to do games design, and then it just turned out that the course just wasn't for me, so it was time, right, Ross, get your head down, start getting a job. So I actually done a year at McDonald's, and the year at McDonald's, that was tough as well, though. It was just constant, like, do this, do that, do this, do that. Turned out the manager, anyways, at McDonald's was like, uh, oh, he'll never get a promotion because of who he is. So, listen, I should have brought them to court at that stage, but when I was in McDonald's, I went to... We, we were all friends at McDonald's. There was loads of us from the inner city walking in East Wall. And I was in there, I think, for eight, nine months. And nine months in, we got a new head boss. So I said, I went, I needed more money. I was on, I think it was on nine twenty at the time, 9.25 an hour, mm. which is buttons, yeah. you know, yourself. Mm. And for the work I was doing, wasn't worth it. But, um, so we'd done a year at McDonald's. And after the year, <clears throat> I went to 
court assistant, the new boss assistant, that was like, listen, uh, I need more money, is there any chance of a crew trainer? Because look, everybody around was new. I was the only one really left there that actually knew what he was doing and had an idea of what to do. So I was like, listen, I need to get... And he was like, yeah, oh, you won't get that. And kind of laughed it off. And I was like, what do you mean you won't get that? And he was like, oh, you're Russ. So what's that supposed to mean? She's like, oh, no, no, I'm only messing. He was like, yeah, I'd say it to her. And I was like, no, I want you to come back on that. What's that supposed to mean? But the fella that... This is why I didn't want to go to court because the fella that was there that would have been standing as a witness if I brought him to court was a fella that hated all of us as well. Constantly, like he was at, like my missus, that's where I met my missus, believe it or not. Mm. But she left because of all the hassle in there over this person that was standing there, and he knew I was with her. So, my fear of going to court was if I bring this to court, he's gonna stand in as a witness, say mm. that never happened, yeah. and then I'm standing in court. And like what was the issue? I think it was where I was from and who I am, to be honest with you. And I think it you? was a bit of that. It was from town, the, oh, a bit of a mess, oh, a bit t- has a bit of a laugh with other uh, people walking there. That's what I believe from mm. looking back on it. Um, what happened was, I, I think why she wouldn't like me was she came in, I was doing closes, so we were doing four till 12 o'clock, five nights a week. The reason I was doing them shift was because apparently everybody else wasn't from around, so they couldn't get the bus at that late at night. Turns out there was loads of them from East Wall that just told them they're not living there. So I was on that shift, I kept asking for change, they change it for one or two days a week and then I'll be back on it a week later. But that was besides the point, so I kept doing that, doing that, doing that and what I used to do, I used to come in at four o'clock and we'd have to get stuck ready and what I used to do was I'd get stuck for the night, not just mm. for every two hours, we were taught that way. Mm. So it wasn't on me that I was taught a different way to what she came in and expected. Mm. But what I think turned her mind on me was she came in one day and it was I think it was half four I was at the deal my stock check and I took down an extra bag of meat and she came over and she was like you won't need that I was like what do you mean in front of everybody as well she started roaring at me you won't need that you know you're supposed to go up here every two hours and all I was like well then tell your managers that because I was taught a different way so I I felt like shit because it was in front of people so I was like right I'll come back to you in about half an hour, 40 minutes. If that's not open, I'll apologise and say I should have done it your way. So about 25 minutes went by and I opened that second bag of me. So I'll come here for a minute. Now I pulled her out because she'd done it to me, so I pulled mm. her out in front of everybody else. And I was like, now, every two hours and that's open already, what have you got to say? And she just went and walked away. So I think that was the start of horse basically saying, he's going nowhere here, you know what I mean? Mm. And then a few months later, obviously, as I said, that's what happened with the Oaks. So I got out there. Do you feel... Do you feel like there's a thing... I'm gonna say, I don't even want to say it because I feel like I'll be bleeding murdered, like absolutely crucified. With the... Okay, I'm going to word it right. <laughs> so with the way you, you were... F- feeling that people it was because you were from the inner city because of that do you feel that you had a bit of a chip on your shoulder there in that mcdonald's or am i picking that up wrong? maybe so maybe so maybe i because of obviously as i said with my mental health and stuff like that maybe at that stage i still wasn't kind of over what i was going through so it was kind of like blaming other people maybe maybe yeah. that was a thing yeah because i, I do was saying like Oh, she's picking on me because of who I am. Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. so, yeah. I do find sometimes that with deprived areas, 
as such, even though I don't necessarily, I personally, but I'm not from the area, I don't personally think that inner city is a private area because you've got different schemes, stuff like that. And again, I probably want to be killed for saying that, but. No, no, I agree. It's the same with Kulak, like it was the private area, but like I didn't think it was a private area. But I do feel that a lot of people have a chip on their shoulder yeah, because they're from that area. Yeah. Because they think they they've been hard done by. Oh, I'm being hard done by. Now, me personally, obviously, I agree with you, which maybe I was like, I'm oh, going through this, so everybody's just picking on me because of who I am. Maybe I was that way. Um, yeah, that could that could really be it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have to say, like, I, 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 if you, if I was a superior yeah. and I called you out on something and you did that to me, I would be like, right, your card is marked with me. Yeah. You need now need to prove yourself more than anyone else in here yeah. and not because of where you're from but because of the way you just way behaved I, yeah. to this me this is what another thing like this is why i was kind of like there is something against me because when everybody left i was walking the kitchen there every single night now i didn't mind it because time flies when you're when you're doing something um yeah so i was constantly walking the kitchen so we had a day where there was five new people in the kitchen this boss didn't have anybody to do the tales. Now, while I was trained and everything, this is why I wanted a promotion because I knew I could do mm. what was expected of me mm. when I do get there. So I was walking on the tales because she had nobody else. So she left everybody in the kitchen. Everybody in the kitchen was walking. They were all little people. When you walk in a McDonald's, there's a grill, right? And it'll have buttons. So say, for instance, Big Mac burgers. You press mm. one button, don't touch the grill. The grill will come back up itself, take the burgers off. Mm. That's simple, right? Showed all of this that three burgers were given out that day, <clears throat> and every single one of them were pink. Mm. Now, all the people obviously came back up. You do yourself, look mm. myself. I was handed the pink. What are you doing with that? Mm. So they all came, complained. She got a bit upset. That time, I went into the kitchen then and told someone else to go out and do the yoke and walked that whole day doing the burgers and showing every single that's why I believed that I was good enough to get the mm. thing but it was still the same after that you know what I mean yeah after helping in that mm. way and like as myself I was going back to what you said like it's being from that area now me personally I'll go into it a little bit when we lost Hardens I was 11 um, I was 11 when we lost Hardens I won't go too much into what happened or what he just did he lost his life in the hands of the police, what we believe anyway. So can we just just take it back because in our city people and we again and I seen that we just have to keep trying to raise awareness for Terence's um story. Yeah. But just and I know you, you said you don't want to go into it too much, but I just want to be able to tell people what happened to yeah. Terence and who Terence is. So it's Terence Wheelock. Yeah. And who is Terence? Terence Wheelock is my uncle. Okay. So that's my man's brother. So I I'll go into it a little bit. From my understanding, anyways. Um, so, September 2005, Tardens was hanging around with his mates in the back lanes of Summer Hill, where my nanny's house was. <clears throat> he was arrested that day for a crime he was later cleared on, and I need to make that clear because a lot of the questions that come was he was arrested for a crime he committed. Tardens was arrested that day for a crime that he had no involvement in and was later proved afterwards. So... Just want to make that clear. But when he was arrested, there was a couple of people in Summerhill that had seen the police treating him wrongly before he even got into the back of the Maroya van. <clears throat> Supposedly beat his head off the floor and with their boots and stuff like that and battens. 
So the, him and a, three others were arrested that day. Three, two or three others were arrested that day. Tardens was 20 when this happened. So now, don't get me wrong, Tardens was no angel. I just want to make that clear. Had a mess, had a buzz around town. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. So Tardens was arrested that day. To him and three others, um, he was brought down to Star Street Garda Station where... <coughs> So there was a book, there's a book where the police check on um, criminals in the station and the book is marked every 15 minutes and there's a gap on that book, <coughs> 40 minutes, where he wasn't checked and then after that 40 minutes he came in and found him unconscious and that's when he went into a coma. But between that time and them 40 minutes supposedly, according to the police, this is why we keep pushing, according to the police everybody's watch was wrong. Every clock in Star Street wasn't on the right time, so they didn't know when to go when the 20 minutes was up to go and check on him. Another thing was with this, um, there was six six men brought in on Star Street that same day when Tardens was in that cell. They were brought in, lined up against the wall, searched in, the, in Star Street and just let go. But six of them thought that was very weird. Why were they brought in at that stage? And I think that was kind of a cover-up to say that, well, we were here dealing with this, do you know what I mean? There's so many inconsistencies with the case that this is why we're pushing. We're not just pushing because we believe the police done it and he couldn't have done it to himself. The reason why we say that is, so I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a cell or anything, but <laughs> there's a light switch, say, waist height, supposedly turns, got into that cell, with his fingernails in a concrete wall, pulled the light switch out of the wall and hung himself from a cord out of his trousers. Now, I'll just say it, years ago, <clears throat> when I was brought in, your laces get taken out of everything. You're not allowed lace in your shoes, you're not allowed lace in your bottoms, you're not allowed anything that you can harm yourself with, basically. And yeah, he was allowed in with the cord of his trousers and hung himself from waist height by with his fingernails pulling out of a concrete wall. So that's obviously a couple of inconsistencies. This is what the guards are saying. Yeah. Right, right so let's, yeah. So the guards are saying, so Terence gets arrested. Do you know what time he was arrested at? I'm not 100% on the numbers. Right, so he gets arrested and then he's brought, there's people see stuff that went on in the streets. Then he gets brought in and he's not checked. And then do they find him and they say that he... Stuck his fingernails behind a thing into a concrete, into wall, a concrete yeah. wall and hung himself from that. And waist height as well. So now, if you go and look, obviously for the people listening, if you want to actually look into the case, talking bollocks done a podcast with me, aunties who mm-hmm. know every detail. Mm-hmm. I kind of just like a little bit in the shadows, but they'll have every single detail. And we do still have the books in me nanny's house to time. So we'll obviously, if people want to really look into the case, they can look at that. But as I said, If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, so then... <clears throat> My uncle Lala, so this is not all, it's still a lot. So the police came to my nanny's house to tell her that your son's had to commit suicide. Just opened the door, oh, your son's dead, come on, we bring you to the hospital. That's the way they worded it. So <clears throat> my nanny obviously distraught, what's going on, what's going on? The police brought my nanny to St. James's Hospital, knowing full well he was in the matter. So why was that? So they brought her over to James's. Nanny went in, where's my son, my son, no, he's not watching, there's no times we look out. My uncle Lala, who passed away, God rest him, he rang them at the hospital and they said, yeah, yeah, we have Tartans here, you'd want to come up quick. So <clears throat> my uncle Lala jumped the taxi and went up. Well, then the police that had my nanny and my auntie in the car asked her for directions to the Mata hospital. He's walking in the inner city, God knows how many years he asked my nanny for directions. So my uncle got to... The Matter Hospital and seeing the cops come out with a plastic bag, which obviously had turned out to be Tardis's clothes, which we only got back the start of this year, or the end of last year. And it's 16 years ago now, 17 years ago. And we only got them back today. It's still stained, the blood stains and sick stains or whatever from getting sick while he was unconscious. But that was another one where they obviously deflected off so that they could get his clothes so there'd be no proof given. On the day. So no DNA, no yeah. nothing. There's so many. Then the cell itself was painted over and cleaned over before the forensic check was done on that. Why? <laughs> like, I know I'm Tardis' nephew, and obviously I don't want to believe that's why they were a joke, but there's way too many inconsistencies with Tardis' case for me to believe, Jesus, he might have done that himself. 
there's way too many. Like, what I'm at the saying there alone is proof enough that there's something fishy going on here, you know what I mean? When do you find out about Terence's passing? Um, I spoke at one of his marches and it was a hard time for me as well. Um, he went into the coma in June. Died, sorry, I said September earlier. He died in September. He went into the coma in June and he was in a coma for three months and then he died in September. So I had seen from a young age, at 11, I think of us, I was brought up to see Terence in the state that he was in on the bed in a coma tubes coming out of everywhere trying to breathe and stuff like that so I was kind of seeing it from a young age you know it was only really 16, 17 where Lala was kind of talking to me trying to get me to understand the case so that <clears throat> if that must ever happen to him to be someone that knows everything that can keep fighting and I do I do try to do my best for that part and as I said to you like someone like myself I can never speak in front of people but when it comes to Terence's case, I'm well able to stand up and speak in front of God knows how many people standing there marching for him. So I seen that at 11, I would have been when all this happened. I seen all of that, um, obviously from a young age, seeing him on shows. And then in September, um, I was standing in the kitchen and my nanny rang me ma and my ma obviously in bits like our little brother's gone, but she broke down. Now he wasn't gone at this stage, but they were saying like, get up here, say on. My ma went up and then he obviously went an hour later or so. Did he go himself? Or? Yeah. Okay. So he wasn't coming out, basically. That was it. <coughs> what did it do to your nanny and granddad? Um, do you know what? I'll go into it a little bit as well, what the police was doing. So <clears throat> obviously my nanny and granddad didn't take that well, especially having to fight for justice to prove that that son didn't do that now. <clears throat> Look, and nobody knows what someone's going through mentally. Not me, not you, nobody. So we don't know if there was mental issues, but every single person that knows Tardens knew how much he enjoyed his life. He was full of life. He always up for a laugh, loved all the kids. He never, ever showed any signs. Now, I know some people might not, but nobody actually believes he was going through something that could push him to that point. Why of, that day? Yeah. Why, why would you do that day in, in that cell. place? And do you know what? Sorry, I missed one. That morning he was arrested. He asked me nanny for um, a fiver to go get a paintbrush. He wanted to paint his room. So why, why would he go out of his way, get arrested that day, blah, 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 and go down and do that? And plus, when we got his clothes back eventually, the fiver was still there. So he was going to actually get paintbrushes and paint his room. So why do it in the cell? Why not do it in his room when my nanny left? If he was really serious about that, why didn't he do it that morning? So obviously, my nanny and granddad was constantly questioning me. Um, the police drove my nanny and granddad out of my house. Now, people will look at that and say, did they really, though? Right? <clears throat> my nanny was getting woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning to uh, torches in our window, hanging gestures, fingers, um, horses going by at God knows what hour of the morning. Constant, constant torture for them to leave it. What I believe, to leave it, leave this case alone. He did that himself. That's what I, I believe from what happened. Now, me as well, this is what I'm saying to you, being from this time there's no point blaming it. The family, obviously, I was put through a lot by the police myself from my name. Now, I, listen to me, I wouldn't tell no cop out, like, I'm a Donnelly, I'm Ross Donnelly, that's my name, that's on my birth date, that's on my passport. If I get pulled by the police, it's Ross Donnelly. Simple, plain and simple. Those coppers pulling me on some of my hill at a very young age, 13, 14 years of age, and beat me up against the wall, 
taking everything out of my pockets and making sure you're not selling drugs or whatever. Um, that was going on from a young age. My older brother got that, and bear in mind, I had never told any copper. Like, if I got pulled by the street and told the copper and Ross Wheelock, maybe then I'd understand why me. But constantly, and then I had um, I had a copper from Mountjoy at one stage. We were there, me and a few of my friends taking the piss up in a park, Mountjoy Square Park, and the copper came in. Out of everybody, there was 10 of us there. Out of everybody, I was pulled up against the, the railings. When he put me up against the railings with the words that came out of his mouth was, I ran every single one of your family out of Summerhill and I won't have any problem doing you either. They're the words that I got from a copper at 15. Because, unfortunately, I'd say they all know who the fuck you are. Yeah. They all know who you are. And it just, it beggars belief. It beggars belief. I was in the Shelbourne Hotel one day at an event, just, just to give you a little bit of context, at an event. And we were drinking champagne and it was all gone, everything. And this guy came in and he was a friend of a friend and he was staring me over. And I said, I was like, well, I'll get, I'll get around. And I went and got around and he said to me, you get around. And I says, yeah, no, like we're on rounds. I'll get mm. around, you know, company credit cards at an event, buying champagne for people who are there. And he followed me up to the bar and he said to me, uh, how's everything? And I said to him, ah, great, you know, great. And he goes, and how's your mum and dad and all? And I was like, Grant, yeah, Grant. And he's like, and how's the courts? And I was like, what? And he goes, your name isn't Rebecca Kelly, is it? And I says, yeah. And he goes, what's your other name? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, Rebecca Jervis, why? And he was like, yeah, no. And, he, and I was like, how'd you know I'm from the courts? I was like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. And he was a copper from Kulak. And I was like, no, my my brother was a little shithead, but he's grand now, like yeah. yourself, do you know what I mean? He's a little messer, but yeah, he's grand. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, this is absolutely bonkers. And I said to my friend who brought him, and I said to him, do me a favour, tell him to get the fuck out of my face. Because mm-hmm. I have no idea what his agenda is here. No idea. Mm. So, and I just was like, I wonder, like, I wonder what that chap did. Like, did he come into that? And did he, like, I don't get it. I don't get, does I he... Don't understand, like, well, I don't understand this. Like, this fella that done that with me, yeah. big, huge man, probably six five, big, butch bloke. That was the first time. This happened with the same couple five times, four or five times. The second time I was cycling up to do my skin treatment in the matter, I'd done light treatment, I'd done it twice, it's like, you do six to eight weeks and every time you go, so I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do 30 seconds on the Monday, then it'll go up 15 seconds every time you do. So I was doing that anyway, so I don't know if you know the matter private at the back. Yeah. Yeah, so I was coming up on the bike, on the cycling path, but I come up onto the path because my door was safe from here to there. So I come up onto the path to bring my bike into the matter mm. and I got clotheslined off the bike. I jumped, what's going on here? And I looked up and it was him. You don't worry, I'll fucking get you one of these days. One of these days, I'll find you. I don't care what it is. I will find you with something. So that was the same. So I laughed that off. That was the second time. Then the third time he was driving up some hill and I was coming down. Now, I'd have missed when I was younger. But the older I got, the more nervous I would have got about doing things like that. I couldn't want to be in trouble with the police. Mm. I see what can happen when you do... You never win against them either. So what's the point? What am I achieving by doing anything to break the law? Nothing. So the older I got, the more 
head I had on my shoulders basically but we were coming down on some hill and a car started creeping up beside us I was like that's a bit weird so I turned around and the window came down same person again you've no drugs on you now do you we look so I'm not a wee look said in drugs do you want to get out of the car there I'm going to get you one of these days and he winked at me and smiled I was like, what's going on here I was like, watch, you watch Wheelock. I'm telling you now, I'm going to fucking get you. Now, I had my friends there, my friends all seen you. That was the third time. Then the last time, this it was four times, the last time, my dad put him in his place, he came down. So I'm a hill. And I was standing at the front door talking to a friend. And we were standing, we have a little pat, like this size or something. We were standing on the pat. Comes down and he puts his foot up onto the pat and he's like, oh, up to no good, eh? I said, you have a horrible thing in your mind that I'm up to no good and it's never going to work because you're just going to keep playing on that and playing on that and you're never going to get me for anything. I'll get you for something much. I was like, what are you going to get me for? Come on, we'll have a chat here. Come on, tell me what you said. You're a drug dealer. You're this, you're that. Is that so? Get your foot off me, Pat. What do you mean? Get your foot off me, Pat. This is my house. Get your foot off me, Pat. I don't have to move my foot. Do you know? You need a warden to stand on my property. Dad, come here. My dad, come out. So that's him that keeps bullying me. Dad lost, obviously. Get your fucking foot off my pet. Get a fucking word and then come back here. Oh, I'm sorry about that and just walked off. And that was the last time then he wouldn't leave. It wouldn't bother me then for after that. But that was constant. Even with other couples, like, we lock up against the wall. Like, what do you mean? I'm not doing that. And I didn't break any laws. I wasn't a drug dealer. I didn't do any drugs. I didn't take any drugs. had a few drinks when I was 17, 18. That was it. And um, this was all the family was getting this. All the family got it. So, <clears throat> obviously, the more raw it was, the worse it was. So, when mm. all only happened, my uncle Gavin, who <clears throat> he would have been third and solder brother by only a couple of years, like he would have been obviously the closest third. He went through a lot of shit with his own mental health. Like, he went through severe mental health issues. Like, <clears throat> but he was, get, he was probably getting it the most. Now, all my aunties got it. Couple of my aunties got battens, hit with battens and all for no reason. Um, but my uncle Gavin would have got the worst. Like there was a few times where my dad had found him on some hill, dragged up against the wall, and battens out ready to hear him. Like my dad pulled him away, but um, he'd have gotten at the worst constantly. Like, look a little fuzzy scumbag. You're just another one of them. You'll end up in the ground. We'll catch you up for something. You're going down for life and all. Constant. Like this went on. Well, it got to five, six, maybe seven years. And there's nowhere for you to go. There's nowhere no. for you the, to report Because this is the to. problem, Rebecca, and this is what people are saying. Why don't you go to the Ombudsman? We went to the Ombudsman. As far as I know, I'm nearly 100% sure on it. The Ombudsman that investigated Terence's case was at uh, Copper and Star Street for 10 years before he was an Ombudsman. So you're telling me that a friend is investigating a friend. Mm-hmm. There's been, and this is another thing, we got the stats there the other day. Nobody's recording debts in guard of custody in this country. Nobody. There's no record. They won't find it. <clears throat> there was a document put out two weeks ago. I had a fellow off Rebel Telly who was great help to the family for the um, videos and stuff at the marches. He sent me a picture three weeks ago and there's been over a hundred debts in guard of custody. Right? Nobody has paid the price for any of them. Not a single time in the whole time ombudsman came out for this specific reason. And in the whole time, that's a thing. They haven't convicted one single man for a murder in guard of custody. Not one. God, Ross, I don't know what to say to you. Mm. So that's, that would have been obviously the hard 
to deal with at that age. And then the older I was getting, my uncle Lala died of cancer a couple of years back. Now, I wouldn't have been close, really close, seeing him all the time. Mm. Like, he, he started getting cancer. I think he was four years with or something. We start getting, when he started getting cancer, he was trying to go out on walks. So I'd often meet him on his walks while I'm with my friends, but I'd pull away my friends and talk to him. So he was constantly at me. Keep fighting, keep fighting. I don't have long left. Keep fighting, please, keep fighting. <clears throat> so I kind of drifted apart from Lala for a bit. Obviously, being a young person, I just yeah, want to be course. out with my friends mm. all the time. But <clears throat> when he got sick, 19, I would have been... 20, 21, when he got really sick. <clears throat> and he kept asking me, Ma, I need to see Ross. Well, my ma thought it was a bit strange because my ma would have known, like, I'm just into myself with my friends, don't care mm. about him. So my ma was like, yeah, Lala keeps asking for you. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go up. So I went up <clears throat> and he could barely speak. And all he said, as soon as I walked in, he said my name. And all he said was, keep fighting. Need you to keep fighting, and that's what we got out with Lala. And obviously, it was for turns, so that's why I still to this day will keep fighting. So that was a hard time for us because he was basically the forefront of all of this. He was the one like he done prison and all. He was a criminal himself, but while he was in prison, he, he was educated. He done loads of college and law. Like he taught me about law. The person that was inside taught me about law. You'd be surprised how much they actually know. But he taught me, like, when you're with the police, like, what laws to say or bring up and you can't do this under such and such. He'd have been that person. So when we lost him, like, oh, who's going to step up? You know what I mean? Like, we haven't, like, my nanny and granddad never spoke in public until they'd done the podcast with me. So it was mm. like, who is going to step up? Now my uncle Sammy started stepping up. But because of that then, I started conquering my fears. And with that, I've become the person I am today because the first time I actually spoke in front of people would have been at Tardance's case or March there in last year, last June. Would have been the first time I ever spoke in front of people. And now I'm doing it a lot, you know what I mean? So mm. that's it, it's a good thing that, that taught me lessons in life to you can do it, you know what I mean? So I take it back on the McDonald's piece <laughs> because I get why you have a chip on your shoulder and I get why you would have had a chip on your shoulder. Um, and so I, I apologize for saying <laughs> that right, to you. Right. Um, because I get it, like, I, I get that's where that would have come from and the hardships, and I get where that's probably like all that trauma is where your psoriasis just took yeah. over your life. Yeah. Because as an 11 year old, you know, I it's a very fine line that whether you should just be really honest or shield and then do you shield and then it comes back later on and why didn't you tell me that and why didn't that happen and why wasn't I there when I seen that but also then just the flip side why was I there why did you show me that why did I see him dying in the bed why did I see that do you know what I mean so it is a very fine line it was really like obviously I don't look for sympathy but it has been hard you know what I mean it's been mm. really hard but they like Dealing with that obviously would have been the start. Then the psoriasis thing, like going out on nights out and trying to cover every part of my body so that people don't see. Like, I'm just glad I'm a lot more confident even with it now. Like, I still have it. Like, it's never gone away. I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. But I'm kind of, at that stage, I'd have been like, nobody can see this. But now I'm like, I don't care who sees it. You know what I mean? Nobody is there to judge me. And if people are there to judge me, I don't care what their opinion is. And that's just the way I am now. I just really don't care. Mm. I don't care what people say about me. I'm just going to be myself and be the person that I want to be. But it was, that's a learning core for me. But I think grieving at a young age still makes it difficult for me now. Like last year we had, 
20 me and my missus, we had four deaths in both of our families, two of each. Last year, Gavin, as I was telling you about, he lost his six-month-old six month daughter. So that was that was the start. I was actually, at that time, I'd have been like in great shape, training every day, eating healthy every day, barely drinking, probably drinking once in a blue moon. When we lost Dali Ray, that would have been the start of me coming back down to where I was a few years ago. So grieving, obviously, as I said, it's too what hard for to me. Uh, just a cut that there was nothing like... I, the, like, um, the thing with Gavin like, and I hope he hears this is he kept blaming himself what could I have done differently and there isn't anything there is absolutely nothing you could have done differently to save whole life God rest her so that would have been the start when I started coming back now I'm back at myself now but at this, that time I went kind of into Michelle again and I don't want to train I don't want to eat so it took me a few weeks and then obviously we had a couple of deaths in the missus family that was like last year was probably me and my missus hardest year together with each other nearly four years now well, obviously she saved me as well with Merritt and McDonald's and she was kind of me rocks to turn to every time I went through anything so we lost Dahlia and then obviously the rock of the family we lost my granddad in December then and that really like from January December say late December early January that's when I started going back on the drink Drinking every week, going to the pub at 11 o'clock at night and trying to find nightclubs, and that went on for six months. So grieving for me is really, my find anyways, is what really puts me back where I don't want to be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about that, but keep fighting. But there is. Mm-hmm. You know that there, there is. Yeah. Like, so if you know that that is your Achilles heel, you have to get yourself to what you're doing now, yeah. that you're able, because grief is... Horrific thing for everybody, yeah. for everyone, and you've seen it since you were 11 years old, so you've been dealing with that. And like I said this before, and I'll say it again people deal with grief in childhood, and then it circles back mm. 10 years later. Like, because I never understood my friend who lost our granddad when she was three years of age, mm. I didn't understand why she'd be crying. Yeah. I'd be like, Jesus Christ, what's, what's wrong, wrong with her? you? Yeah. Crying, he was you are three, you don't even remember him, mm. but like. I've never, so I've been lucky enough never to experience that, so I can't. Now I'd never you, judge you her. You don't know, yeah. But, like, I'd always roll my eyes every time she'd say, and it's my granddad's anniversary, and we're, I'm so upset. And I'd be like, you're upset for what? You were three. Yeah. But grief is a horrific thing, so yeah. that's what you have to do to put those in place. Can I ask you about the podcast with your nanny and granddad? What was that about? And you, it, is, is it there for people to see? It is indeed. So if you could go on to my Instagram, that was full. I'm sure you put it out there. Um, you'll click the link and there'll be a YouTube channel. You can go and have a look at that. You'll see Tardens' face and the story of Tardens' Wheelock, its headline. So when three or four years ago after Lala died, we were like, how can we, <clears throat> what can we do to get the public to push because as you know social media is huge now and it's really powerful tool for anything serious like that so the idea for me was what can I do to help push his story out there and show people my nanny and grandna never spoke public as I said all the reporters tried to speak to them outside the case I would say the courts when all this was going on they just wouldn't speak to anybody in which I don't blame them that was just their way of dealing with things he didn't want to be open to the public but the longer this went on and the more years were going on where my nanny and granddad were still grieving because they still haven't gotten over it. Well, how can they get over it? Because he's, he's not going to be rested himself. So, like, how can we, as a family as well, push it out there to show that what, what, what happened and f- straight from the horse's mouth, 
my nanny and granddad, it's their son. So mm. we were like, <laughs> my aunties were like, they didn't know, obviously, they wanted to do stuff on social media. So we started up the page, Justice for Tartans. We look on Facebook, got a lot of headway, got a lot of people coming out supporting the marches and stuff like that. And then I was like, right. Although it's going to be really difficult for me to sit there and to try to get the questions out and try show piece by piece what happened. Um, I stepped up and I was like, right, I'll do it. Because at that stage, I had done a couple of podcasts myself. I just love podcasts. So I was like, I'll do it. So we sat down, Nanny and Grandad told the story. As I said, it was a bit difficult. We had to stop a couple of times just to <clears throat> take a few deep breaths before we continued. But for any, that's what I was saying to you earlier, for anybody that does want to really go into the case, I'd suggest, obviously, listen to that first and then start reading up on whatever it is you want to read up about. And where he is now, like, what's the next steps for this? So, <laughs> what we're trying to do, obviously, we want a public inquiry into Tardin's case. That's what we want. The government won't give it. We've had plenty of TDs, plenty of government officials going into the Dáil and bringing Tardin's name up. I don't know if you've seen some of them, but there's been a lot <clears throat> of people that have gone in just to bring his name up. We had Gary Gannon, uh, Senator Lynn Ruan, um, it's me. There's been five or six different TDs that went into the doll specifically to bring up from Michael Martin. We just keep getting the same comment answer, you know, how it is in the doll. They read off a sheet, tell you that's enough. So <clears throat> we're still pushing. Our goal when Tardin's lost his life is still the same today. There wasn't a good enough investigation into his case. As I said, the ombudsman was a policeman from Star Street investigating a copper from Star Street that done wrong. So 17 years, man, it's still, <laughs> we're still pushing for the same thing, but we're just, now it's all about <clears throat> getting the right people in our team to really push. So like, get a lawyer who's really good at mm. justice and stuff like that. Get mm. him in. Get him to look over all the case. Give him all the evidence, because Lala never let him go. He was just that clever. He kept everything. So get him in to look over everything and then the pushes to on government. This is why we march. This is why we're there every single year, twice or three times a year. I think, in my opinion, anyways, we need to push more than two or three times a year. We need to be there five, six, mm-hmm. seven times a year so that they're like, right, these aren't going away. Maybe mm-hmm. just give them that inquiry and see what happens after that. So that's where we're at anyways. They're still mm-hmm. pushing for an independent inquiry into Terence's case because we've, believe that was a couple investigating a couple who was probably friends so mm-hmm. how's your nanny today my nanny after losing my granddad it's hard to say you know what i mean she's still finding it difficult obviously before my granddad went like it was unexpected as well anyways for me so i haven't got a clue about the extent of what he was he had, like he had copd and stuff like that so i wouldn't I'm a busy man, I try to make time for family whenever I can, which is understandable, you know what I mean, you know how it is, Mm -hmm. Um, I got out there when I could, but it was unexpected for me, so I'd imagine it's unexpected for me, Nanny just out of the blue, Um, before that it would have been Tardance that was constantly on her mind, because I know it's like, when I sit with my Nanny and have a chat, it'd be like, she'd bring up Tardance, or you, the image of Tardance and stuff like that, so it's always there, you know what I mean, same with my ma, my ma will always speak of Tardance, every time she had a spit of Tardance, so, for them, I, I mean, my nanny specifically, God rest her, really, she's really fine the heart. Mm-hmm. Especially when my granddad gone. That was a rock. It was all of her rock. Like, he was the glue to all of us. And now that's gone. 
that's why I found it hard. And as I said to you, grieving for me is hard, but it's only now looking back, sitting here with you, looking back, it's like I'm not going to let them same things happen again. I won't. I just refuse. Like, I was in a good place last December. My granddad died. I let myself go for six months. Looking back now, obviously, with the charity, as I explained mm. at the start of this, I'm in a good position. When I go through grieving again, let it be a week or two to just take a break from what it is I am doing, but make sure it's not two months, three months, four months, and that's where I fell off this year. Mm-hmm. I let it be the four or five months feeling sorry. It was down to me then, like, obviously, my missus noticed I was drinking a lot more than I was, and she was like, is everything all right? I was like, yeah, it's grand, forget about it, don't worry about it. She noticed that, and then it was down to me to look back and say, Jesus, do you know what, Ross, <laughs> this is not you. You mm. need to really, really, really need to take another think about this and look at what you're doing for the last six months and be like, right, let's start mm. getting all of this together again. And obviously that's when the mental health group and all came about. Do you think you're ready to talk to someone now? In mental health? In counselling now? I, I, I think I could, but mm. I, I think I'm at... I'm in a position with myself now where I'm comfortable in obviously talking... As I'm talking to you, mm. like, so that just goes to show that I'm comfortable mm. with my mental health. I'm comfortable speaking to people now. So I could, if I really felt I needed it, I think mm. that I could go and get a counsellor. Because you think, have so much to do. Yeah. So I'm going to say this to you now, Ross. Yeah. You have so much to do, mm. right? You have a plan. You know you're going to do this DOP, the charity. You're going to do what you're inspiring to be brave, right? But to inspire to be brave... One knock can send that flying. So you have too much to do. I'm going to put pressure on you now. Too much to do to fall off that wagon again. And the thing is, life throws so much fucking shit at us that potentially in six months, something's going to be thrown at you. Oh, definitely. So you need to be 100% to get yourself there. And you know what? The thing is, like, if it's grief, as we say, please God, it's not. And you have to allow yourself to to do that. But not go down a destructive path. You have to choose not to go down that path because you have so much to do. Yeah. You have so much to do. Yeah. In 10 years' time, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, there's your man who sat on a podcast with me. Remember him, Pop? Yeah. Look at him now. He's bleeding ahead and he's in the doll. He's fucking doing this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have so much to do. Yeah. And that's the thing like, with me, mental health. That's why I'm in a good position at the minute is because I know everything I'm trying to do is not only, like, I, I don't do it for personal gain, but... It makes me happy to help others. Yeah. The fact that I'm helping others is making me happy in myself as well, you know what I mean? Mm. So, as I said, looking back, 25 now, looking back to when I was 18, I wasn't the same person I am sitting here today, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have been doing this back mm. at that age. Wouldn't have been doing anything that I'm doing. Wouldn't have been doing the walk or talks. Wouldn't be putting pressure to make sure I have my own charity so that people have somewhere to go. I wouldn't be doing none of that. Oh, yeah. 25. Yeah. And I'm looking back now and I just say, oh, yeah, I am proud of myself. I'm proud of how mm. far I've come and oh, the stuff I've had to overcome over the course of the last 10 years has been nothing short of hard, but I've got here. Like I'm you, still here. And yeah, and you're going to have a new generation. Like if we look at Jennifer Fay, right, and what she's doing in her communities and the two Brilliant. of you have come together and have some events and done things, like the guards are now in. It's a new generation of guards coming in. Yeah. And they want to be like you. They want to support. They want to help their communities. And so it might take, you might have guards coming to you and saying to you, right, Ross, how can we help? What can we do? Mm. Yeah, it's probably internalising you that you should fucking hate them. But you can't. I don't, Rebecca, and I really don't. And the reason I don't, we had some 
police men sit down with us, well, not me personally, but with the family who had no clue about what happened, no mm. idea about this case, never heard. Now, obviously, people heard it through the news, social media, whatever, no idea, mm. and sat down and said, Right, what steps can we take? So, I mm. don't take, oh, please. Mm. I, I genuinely don't. If police want to treat me wrong, I will. Of course, Just yeah. <laughs> genuinely, mm. but I don't. I don't have that mindset anymore. Mm. I did. Mm. Not going to lie to you, for years, probably 21, 22, before I was like, why am I like this? You know what I mean? They're like, I'm hating on people that don't even know who I am. Mm. But for years, I would have been like that. So it's just, it's the progress that I've made in my own life looking back on that. I can sit here now to, with you and say, Jesus, look at what I'm at to doing, mm. you know what I mean? Look at where I've come from, look at the stuff I've had to overcome and sitting here telling me story. Yeah, and look what you're going to do. Yeah. Like, look what you're going to do. So I'm just, I'm so proud of you. And I know, like, uh, I messaged Jennifer today and I said, yeah. that Ross is and coming. She takes me yeah. as well. So I just want to, while we're here, I want to say thanks to Jennifer because she was, when we started Inspired and To Be Brave, um, I actually, to be honest with you, I don't know where she's seen it. I don't mm. like it could be family or a friend. I don't know where she's actually seen it. Now I know Jennifer, and I mm. would have known her beforehand, but I wouldn't have known her personally to talk to. Mm. And she texts me and she's like, "Oh, we're gonna come along and all." Now I'd seen that she was launching Church mm. Street Running Club, and I want to give that a shout out as well because what she's doing for the kids mm. in the city is unbelievable. So. Well, she seen that and she was like, oh, we're going to come along. And she came out on the first one. Now, there wasn't loads of us on the first one. There was like six or seven of us. But she brought a couple out of our running club. And as the weeks went on, the more people out of our running club that heard about it through Jennifer was coming out with me. So she's actually a big part, although she might not know it, but she mm. will now. But she is a big part of Inspiring to be Brave mm. and what we're doing as a group because she's really the one that got people out. And shared the word and showed mm. people that there is something for you if you need it. If you need it. And the thing is, if there's running and people can get out and run. But also some people who do go out and run. And I know the lads have a bloody fantastic fanta- guys as well yeah, in the NFC. Yeah. Days is huge now. And, and I think that people still like to come out and talk. They come out and talk. So yeah. there's a girl, Kim Hall. She did a podcast. I know you, Kim yeah, Hall. Kim. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I have yeah. her on Facebook. Yeah, so she, she ha- has her, her thing about it. But it's about, I think, communities and coming together yeah. for events yeah. to show that you can do these things. Knock at my door. That can come out and do these things, and also it was Dio a friend of yours. No, he wasn't a friend of me personally. So, we're inspiring to be brave. I wanted to have me on church. That's what mm. we wanted to do. Now, the lads that are on the board who were friends with Dio, and obviously his mother is on their board. It was their friend. They when I brought the idea because I sat down with my cousin who was a really clever man and he's doing a lot of good things with uh, in social work and stuff like that. He helps with his youth club. He does it. basically everything I do too. Like we're very similar in that sense. But so we had a meeting with him and the other board member Gary. So the three of us sat down. I was like, right, so my idea because like I wouldn't have known how to go about mm. a charity. So my idea, put my idea across with them. They had obviously been part of my group that in the WhatsApp group and stuff like that. And they seen everything I was doing. So when I brought my idea to them, they brought still up to me. So we were going to go inspired to be brave and stay on and then just have it literally just a little bit different to each other. But it's like, there's no point in me having inspired mm. to be brave while Steo is everything I want mm. inspired to be brave. Yeah. To be. So let's do Steo, mm. but keep inspiring to be brave as the weekly walk and yeah. talks, going mm. out, doing hikes, bringing them swimming, as I said mm. earlier, running if they ever feel like wanting to mm. go for a run and getting mm. out of their comfort zone. It's all there. So that's where 
that came from with the charity. It's all true, Steve. And as I said, it's there too. Both of their friends and his mum is now on the board with us. So that's where that all came about. Where can we find Inspiring to Be Brave? Uh, Instagram, inspiring underscore to be underscore brave. I'll tag you now on that. And the next outing is when? The next outing is, I think, the group. Now I'm not at the next outing, and this is why I'm so proud of the group. <laughs> I'm not at the next outing, and they're all at their organising a group of bowling to go on Friday good. evening. So I was just sitting there today looking at it, I was like, ah, see that? I don't mm. even have to be there, and they're all ready to go to get on. Like, mm. none of them were good friends before this. Mm. They're all random. Like, now, obviously, a couple of them know each other and stuff. Mm. But now they're going for a group of game of bowling together. And I look, because I have a christening on Friday, and then I've what they want our own podcast for a uh, steal to just explain mm. why it's there, what happened, and where we're going with it. So I won't be around Friday or Saturday. So I put to the group, just want to go out to by yourself, what you want to do. And they were all like, oh, come on, go bowling. I was happy this. Look, That's brilliant. Can sit back now, but this the idea is to give them that confidence that they look every single person is inspiring to be brave. And uh, me, myself, right. The thoughts of going out to somebody new, same mm. with probably this podcast, probably a bit nervous. The thoughts of going out and meeting someone new is really scary for mm. everybody, for mm. all of us, unless you're really confident with yourself. Mm. So every single person that's in my group, nearly every single person texts me and was like, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I can meet people. I mean, response is the same every time. I was the exact same. Mm. When like I brought three, three Jennifer's girls out of running club was that. Uh, Air toward walk, and I knew there was going to be a lot of new people. Mm-hmm. So I was going off, I said, Oh, shit, mm-hmm. no, I'm shaking, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. And once you do it, all of that goes away. Yeah. That forced hello, that forced stand yeah. there and just chat, all went away. The whole way up the coast, we were chatting like we knew each other for years. And this is what I say to everybody do not be afraid to just come. You don't even have to speak. Like, this is what I say to people as well. It's not. It's not an AA meeting where we all mm. sit around in a circle. I'm lost. Yeah. This yeah. is what I went through. Yeah. It's natural. It's all natural. Like me and Jennifer end up having a really good conversation on the fourth one to where we eventually opened up to each other and told like some of the stuff I struggled with and some of the stuff she struggled with. It's natural. Like you might feel clo- if you come, you might feel closer to me to open up. Mm. But then one of the girls might feel close enough to another girl where mm. she might open up. So it's not about like the idea is not to come out and all of us sit around and tell a story. It's not like that. Mm. It's the social side of it. Meeting new people and talking to new people. And that's the idea behind it. It's boring to be brave and it's helped a lot of them now already. Five or six members couldn't do cold water. Mm. I never swim in cold water. Just come out with us. Mm. You'll be all right. Trust me, you'll be all right. They didn't do it the first time. Me and a couple of the lads did it. That was mm. obviously used to it. They've seen us do it. And the week later, they've done it. And like every single one of them says, like, if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have been doing mm. some of the things that they're doing, you know what I mean? Good and that gave me a good sense of achievement as well. Good for you. Mm. Honestly, good for you. And on that note, we leave it there. Yeah. Ross, thank you so much for Thanks sitting down. Thanks very much we, for giving me a platform. Would you <laughs> stop? It's nothing that, I, you know, I hope, I pray to God, I don't know where your story with Terence is going to land. I actually don't know where it is, but hopefully, you never know, someone might pick it up and run with it. You might get... I think the goal would be for like a Netflix documentary. That's, for you know what? That like would that. have been one of them. I know he tried to contact, but it's mm. very, very difficult yeah. to get into somebody, whether it be Amazon or Netflix. Mm. Like, 
that realistically for me personally that would be the goal yeah. because think of how many eyes are going to be on yeah. that then and then the pressure will be on the government mm. to give us what they want and then they'll have to do it it might happen might. you know i always have hope and that's Please one thing God. about me i still always i'll never give up on this case i'll fight until i'm 40 50 even if i have to i'll never give up yeah. my only hope now is that something does change and something happens for us thanks Russ. thanks very much for having me <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.